NobleKnight.com is your one-stop shop for all things role-playing, board, wargaming, and collectible card games. Noble Knight Games is committed to providing you with the best possible selection of new and used products with a selection of over 100,000. Everything on the site is in stock and ready to ship to you worldwide. Discounts are available, and you can expect reasonable prices for rare items. You can even sell or trade your stuff to them. NobleKnight.com, where out of print is available again. Throughout the ages, there have been heroes and warriors who have embarked on quests to save faraway lands and free the people from would-be conquerors. With dice and not a lot of common sense in various role-playing games. Today, our legends come from the halls of This Week in Geek, an unlikely group of nerdy adventurers armed with some pretty stupid ideas and a horseshoe up their butts come together to save the day in These Warriors Are Terrible! Seriously, these are the guys we're going to go with? Hey guys, what's going on? You are listening to This Week in Geeks, These Warriors Are Terrible interview series. That's right, I'm your host, Mike the Birdman Dodd, and we are brought to you by the wonderful folks over at NobleKnight.com, where Out of Print is available again, over 100,000 products available there. Trust me guys, if it's been out there for the geeky or nerdy role player in your life, it's probably there. Also, our newest sponsor of OffWorldDesigns.com, putting you in some of the nerdiest t-shirts you can imagine. Use the coupon code BROHOOF to get 10% off all orders, international and domestic. Well, guys, in today's uh, interview series, we're, we're going to be taking a look at a company you've probably never heard of. But believe me, you will in the next little bit. I'm talking about Cubicle 7. These guys are a company over in the United Kingdom, and these guys have a wide variety of licenses and their own original games available for play right now. I mean, I found out about them when I found out there was a Doctor Who role-playing game. Phenomenal stuff. I actually recommended this back in December for my holiday gift guide. And I've been looking through their stuff. They do stuff with uh, with Lord of the Rings. They're actually setting it years or generations before what happened with Frodo and all that. They have this uh, game based on airship pirates. So if you're into that uh, kind of Crimson Skies type feel. And they've also got this new game. I just found out about this game probably about 20 minutes ago. A game that blends cyberpunk with Japanese horror. So the ring with cyber spurs, if if you will. Sounds tremendously cool. So, on today's show, we're going to be talking with the CEO, but also the line developer for a lot of these really kick-ass games. We're talking to Dominic T McDowell Thomas, and he has done stuff for The One Ring, he's done Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space, but he's also done a lot of uh, development in other games as well. So, without any further ado, let's welcome Dominic to the show. Hello, how are you? I am awake. Uh, one of the things we did for this uh, episode is I set my iPhone to London time, and when Dominic's actually recording this, it's actually like 9 or 10 o'clock his time, p.m., it's about 4 in the afternoon here. I couldn't do the time conversion in my head, because if you're a broadcaster, clearly you don't do math, and <laughs> it's completely throwing me for a loop, but I'm well, I'm awake, I'm excited for this. Uh, this interview, Dom, uh, Dominic, and I was going to call you Dom. Um, ah, <laughs> all right, cool then. So we've been trying to get this interview done for probably about two months now. But the yep. thing is, you guys are so ridiculously busy. 
We are. It's. Um, I think when we started talking about it, it was just when we were kicking off the the Doctor Who fiftieth anniversary celebrations. So uh, yeah, that, that take, that's taken up a bit of time. Yeah, I mean that's really exciting. The fact that you guys have such a big property like Doctor Who, especially now. I mean, like 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 you just said it said the fiftieth anniversary, and you guys are pushing something really cool for the fiftieth uh, anniversary, actually. Yes, yes. Well, I think there's uh, over a dozen cool things that <laughs> we've got everything together. Um, we've got the, as you know, we got the the Doctor Who role playing game. Um, we've also got the Doctor Who card game, which has done really phenomenally well for us in the US um, through 2012 and then continuing to now. I think it's just coming to the point now where we're selling out of that completely. So uh, you have to rush some more over. <laughs> that's really, like I said, that's really neat that the fact that, like I said, right now you guys sit at such an interesting thing where you guys could really kind of blow up right now because people are associating you with uh, Doctor Who, which is tremendously mm. neat. And that's something I definitely want to talk about a little later on during this interview. But, of course, we have to get to know the man behind the dice, so to speak. So, I guess, Dom, let's start with how did you get involved in role-playing and sort of becoming a professional nerd, so to speak? Oh, it was something I looked into at the very beginning of my career, but um, I decided that there was there wasn't any money in it, basically, and, uh, which you know now I've confirmed. But um, it was uh, you know when you're starting off and you think well, my options are wide open, I'd really like to do this cool thing, but no, I'm not sure how it's going to go, and uh, you know will, will it lose? Will I lose my hobby if I turn that into my job? So I'm um, stupid. I didn't apply for the uh, some of the apprenticeships they've got, like the Games Workshop, and uh, in the UK that they run some things like that and um, embarked on a, a varied career in communications um, and then after a while decided that was rubbish so I chucked it into being a games company so when you started uh, the company um, what was your creative vision to basically bring something new to the role-playing game arena I think it was, um, I mean, for me, it, it was having arrived at it through, I mean, quite luckily, my, my career before uh, uh, joining Cubicle 7 was um, the ideal training for it. You know, I've managed to work my way through a load of different communications jobs. So I did the print buying, I did the, the editing, I did some design work and uh, you know, graphic design and layout and that sort of thing. So... Um, I think I felt that I could really apply those in a good way and had the ego to think that I could add something on the game design side of things as well through just you know, my having played games for, for quite a long time. Now, what does it take to design a game? I've, I've, I've talked with a few different people involved in the role-playing community, most recently uh, Chris Pramas from Green Ronin uh, Publishing, and I just... I guess I don't understand the creative mindset. Like, how do you create a game from whole cloth to this refined product that hundreds of thousands of people play? Yeah, I, I'm sure there's like a million and one answers to that. I mean, I think that the, I mean, obviously we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, the the role playing game format is fairly well established, really. I think for, um, I mean, that you know, we can take it in all numbers of uh, different directions but you still you know you can peer back through the to the roots of it with uh, with D&D &D and uh, and what have you so um i think that there's there's a couple of different approaches yeah i think that there's the the way of um I mean, what we try and do is we we try and look at the themes of what we're trying to do so look at say like doctor who we'll look at 
what's what's the um the, what's central to Doctor Who? What what does Doctor Who give you that you wouldn't get anywhere else? What's its you know, what's its unique selling points or what's 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 um what are people looking for when they're going for Doctor Who? So for with that we came to the it's that you know that that brains overbrawn kind of problem solving um yeah using using your your wits to get out of situations and and win the day rather than necessarily blasting your way through it. Um and then from that, we you know, that informed our character generation choices and how we wanted to do that. Um, whether you know, some people would would be people who could do lots of things, and other people would have lots of luck and lots of intuition, um, and have those sort of like leaps of logic that would get you into uh, into the right places. Um, and then, yeah, I think for that one, it was the initiative systems, probably the the genius part of it. So um, with Doctor Who, I mean, for those who aren't familiar with it. Um, yeah, it's it is that you you talk and think your way to uh, to winning the day. So if you get into a conflict situation, uh, the, the talkers go first, followed by the people who are doing cool stuff, followed by the people who are running away. Anybody fighting goes last, <laughs> maximally penalised. <laughs> now, what is the one thing that I think? Uh, now, ugh, sorry, what is something that sets your incarnation of Doctor Who apart? from, say, the FOSA version that came out in the 80s? I think that... I'm not terribly familiar with the FOSA version. Um, to give, I mean, I had a, I'd had a look at it, but I think it's, it's as much taking advantage of the, um, of the developments in game design that have happened over the decades. Uh, I think games these days tend to be more designed to the theme of the property that they're looking at. You know, rather than starting with your rule set and then trying to shoehorn every everything into it, um, so uh, I think that it's yeah, that, that, I'd probably say that that's the main difference. I think it's it's more strongly themed. Now, uh, oh sorry, no no that's all right. But then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I, I was going to ask, how does a company like Cubicle Seven get a hold of that kind of property? Because Doctor Who's been tremendously hot since uh, two thousand and five. I mean, when the reboot happened. I mean, that seems like a real stroke of luck to get this license at this particular time. So what has been some of the experiences developing for the license as it's been moving forward? It's been amazing, actually. It's been really great to see that from the inside um, and to get some, get some um, insights into, into how these huge entertainment brands are managed and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, the the BBC have been fantastic. They've been so helpful with uh, at every stage. I mean, you hear with licensed games all these nightmares of uh, you know bad situations and things like that and meddling and but um, but the, every, everything that the BBC has told us to do with the game has made it a better game. How, been, yeah. how much interaction do you get with people that actually write the show? I mean, is the stuff that you put into the Doctor Who game are you considered canon? Doctor Who's a weird one because that there isn't really canon. <laughs> um, so we we go with what's been broadcast uh, rather than the you know all the all the books and things like that. Um, and um, you know our, our stuff is our stuff. Um, I suppose we're we're not really um, inventing stuff whole cloth. Uh, a lot of what we're doing is reporting on what you know what we've seen on the screen. So. Uh, um, yeah, I don't think we're we're not deviating too far from <laughs> from anything, but uh. but that's kind of the beauty of Doctor Who. I mean, if it's I mean, it's so flexible. The universe where if something exists, it can literally unexist if the if the story and the plot demand it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff um, can explain pretty much anything, <laughs> contradicting something that's happened before. Ooh. So I suppose we're quite lucky in that it's quite an elastic setting, isn't it? One uh, of the things that I really liked about your Doctor Who game is how you guys handled regenerations. And mm. there was something that really grabbed my attention because I never would have thought of this. When, you're, when your Time Lord uh, takes enough damage where he has to regenerate, you have you can randomly roll up a new doctor. His skills stay, but his traits and his attributes change. Mm. And this really got my attention. Pass your character off to someone else. Yes, <laughs> that is something I never expected. I think we, we, with that, we were trying to capture the, the 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 feel of the regeneration as we watched it as kids. I think it's that. Um, you, you, you did not know what was going to happen. You didn't know who was, you know, who, who, what the what the doctor was going to be like. Um, it was a genuine, unpredictable moment. And um, so, yeah, yeah we, <laughs> we thought that that should do it. <laughs> Another thing that I really liked about the Doctor Who role playing game is the fact that it's also fairly simplistic in how the rules are set up. I mean, it, it doesn't rules lawyer you like other games do. I mean, it's just it seems really fast paced. It's meant to kind of capture the feel of the show and there aren't too many licensed games that I find can really accomplish that super accurately because the, like I said they always get bogged down in rules and everything with your stuff it's fairly straightforward yeah we're, we're big believers in not having rule, you know, superfluous rules that you don't need I, th I think it's um, for us it's the, it's the game and the story that you're telling is the, the absolute focus and the more that the rules can get out the way the better um, I mean, it's not to say that you don't have crunch, that you don't have, um, you know, some more involved things for uh, rules involved. And I think where, where the game situation demands it, uh, yeah, we're, we're more than happy to put them in. Um, I mean, for example, the One Ring has a couple of different kind of subsystems that I think blend with the whole very elegantly. But, um, you know, there's, there's more to it um, because we felt the need for it. So, but something with Doctor Who, I think it should be fast, it should be fun, it should be, you know, flinging crazy ideas around the place and seeing where, where you can run to with them. Another thing that I really do like about spe specifically the products that you guys have, you've brought back the box set. Mm. <laughs> and that's something I haven't seen in literally years. I mean, I've recently just started collecting old role-playing games, so I collect a lot of the old um, TSR D and D stuff, and they do have yeah. box sets for uh, Greyhawk and Ravenloft, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there's even the box sets now for BattleTech. Yeah. But it's interesting to see companies bring this style back. I mean, is that something you guys wanted to do, or is this just happy coincidence? We were the first, you know. <laughs> I did not know this. <laughs> well, we weren't really because it took us ages to make a Doctor Who game, but we were the first to announce a new box set. Um, I will. Um, somewhat stake my claim to that uh, no it was we 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 announced that we we're going to do doctor who as a box set and then i think it wasn't long after that um uh green ronin said that they were going to do the, the dragon age box set and then of course warhammer fantasy third edition came out in the box set and we were oh, we weren't special anymore it was a sad day <laughs> <laughs> um now, there are some other games that I really want to talk about with, like, you guys, because you guys do have a number of licensed properties, and this one, like I said, I think is really neat. It's actually funny. A friend of mine who's fairly known in the role-playing community, Noah Antwiler, otherwise known as the Spoonie one, was talking about how difficult it may be to role-play 
in um, the Tolkien universe, a.k.a. the Lord of the Rings stuff, though you guys seem to have found a good good kind of balance with it. So tell me about the One Ring RPG that you guys have. Yeah, that's the the crux of it. I think that the that's always been the thing that we, there's always you know people talk about as being difficult, um, where you do have such uh, a well respected and well loved canon like the the, yeah, the Lord of the Rings does. Um, where do you play in that, and you know, what can you actually do that's going to make a difference? So that was the quest was to uh, to find that that period of time, um, and. Where it turned out, West, where where we've set it is five years after the Battle of the Five Armies, so it's just after the Hobbit, um, where the the dragon has been defeated and the goblins have all been chopped up into little bits and thrown back into the mountains, um, and you've got this kind of false dawn, where the um, the free peoples are coming out of their their you know their their enclosed places and starting to look with a new optimism on the world and thinking, oh wow, you know we can we can actually re-establish trade and we can go out and explore and we won't get eaten by from the skies or uh, attacked by goblins so you have this this wonderfully open little thing where not an awful lot happens um in the the law of of, of lord of the rings um in a place where you, you can actually get out there and make a difference um and the the the, the events that do take place are wonderfully evocative and very sparse on details so you you, you really can just play with that to your heart's content and that's something that's unique, the fact that you have such a big property that literally has this huge gap where I wouldn't say nothing happens, but like you said, it's wonderfully left up to the imagination. And you guys have started to develop uh, new new uh, kind of source books uh, that basically detail what what like has happened. You guys have actually won some awards for uh, this game uh, last year. You guys won uh, Best in Show. You were nominated for Best Art. RPG and art, you guys uh, won an award from the um, Ennies. So, when you start to develop stuff for this, how do you decide you want to set out, basically, how do you develop source books f- for this particular world? Um, for this one, I think it's a it's a combination of covering the areas that people want you to cover. Um, but also again, give it, finding those bits that are really, really playable, um, and let people have their lead. So the, uh, we, we started off with, with Wilderland, which is basically from Misty Mountains East, um, and then, uh, Mirkwood and the surrounding area. So, um, the main event that you've got in that is, uh, 10 years after the battle of the five armies, I think off the top of my head. Uh, the Nazgul um, reoccupy Dol Guldur, which is uh, Sauron's old stronghold in the south of, um, of, Mer- of Mirkwood, the big forest that they go through um, on the way to the Lonely Mountain. Um, and uh, you've got all these these tribes, all sorry, all these uh, uh, settlements of woodmen. And between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, they vanish. Um, there's, I think it's in it's in one of the Lord of the Rings. Sorry, the, uh... Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, yeah, it's the Council of Elrond. They say that you know they they send. Uh, sorry, the. Uh... <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's really distracting. I'm sorry. That's my wife. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Um, 
Yeah, Elrond sends messengers out to to try and get to Radagast um, and find it all deserted. And so you've got a couple of references to it. But somewhere between those two, this entire culture has been driven out of its home um, following the the forces of the shadow reoccupying that part of the forest. So you've got a a huge scope there that you can can put the players into. um, And there's not many much in the way of fixed answers. So who knows what happened? Did they they safely withdraw back to their, their mountain hold or... Were they uh, annihilated under the eaves of the forest? It's uh, yeah, your players can decide. That's something I'm actually fairly looking forward to uh, bringing my guys through because obviously, with the Lord of the Rings being hot again this year and mm. uh, new Hobbit movies, I think this year is the Desolation of Smog. I think in uh, around Christmas time, so. Looking forward to getting back into that particular uh, universe. Now, speaking mm. of universes, you guys have a number of properties that I never really thought. I just never really thought of uh, specifically a Cthulhu-based campaign that happens exclusively in Britain. Uh, Cthulhu Britannica is one that yeah. I want to talk about next. Explain to me a little bit about the development for that particular game. Um, that product line started by accident. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> yeah, um, we started off to, when um, when Cubicle Seven was was very young, and uh, um, there was a proposal from um, some UK based GMs to do a or keepers rather to do a uh, to to compile some convention scenarios and put out a book, and that is the original Cthulhu Britannica book. So you've got the scenarios in there. Uh, multi-era um, and uh, I, mean, I had great fun with that as well I, mean, I don't know if you've seen the cover to it but uh, I commissioned uh, our now art director John Hodgson um, to do a, um, a, there's a, a um, the Haywayne book on sport which is a very famous um, well, a British uh, picture um, and basically turned that into the Cthulhu version so um, I don't know if you've seen it but have, have a look at the cover of that one it's, it's fantastic yeah I'm looking at it right now actually Oh, that's ooh! <laughs> There's a <laughs> horse being whipped into the air. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, that we had great fun with that, and uh, I just thought oh, no, it'd be a fantastic line. You know, I think that the there have been Cthulhu books set in the UK, but there hadn't been that kind of definitive trot through them. You know, uh, going into it in detail and uh, region by region. So um, that yeah, that, that's how that line came about. So we're just. At the moment, it's the rest of the line is 1920s um, uh, regional supplements. Um, in the we've so far we've got uh, the Avalon, which is Somerset. Um, then there is Shadows Over Scotland, which won loads of awards last year. That was yeah, that's been really well received, um, and that's the Scottish supplement. Um, and then folklore, uh, which is the recent arrival, and that one is yeah covers all sorts of folklore and uh, mythos related stuff for that. But um, Cthulhu Britannica is going to have a very exciting year this year. We're going to be kickstarting a London boxed set, um, deluxe mm. London set. Um, now the reason for that is because it, it's funny with the you know, with your, with, when you're an established company, something like Kickstarter is a bit strange because <laughs> you think that well, yes, there's the community building aspect and there's the marketing side of things and, and all the rest of it, but I wouldn't really feel very honest just going to Kickstarter for something we could do anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so 
however, with the London thing, I mean, we could do it as a book, and that would be fine. The sales numbers that we got would be, you know, fine for for a book. But because with the box set, you know, you need to be um, for, for to put it through traditional distribution, you know, you need to be looking at four or five thousand um, print run, and that's that's a bit of a gamble for a supplement. So um, yeah, instantly thought Kickstarter would be the perfect route for that. So we can really test to see if if you know this is something that people want. Um, it'll be a, a top-end um, deluxe um, uh, box set covering London in the 1920s um, with, um, yeah, lots and lots of fabulous stuff in it. I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing that. I mean, I'm a huge Call of uh, Cthulhu fan, although I find it particularly hard to find um, a game master for that game because I find that's one of those games you have to have the right group of players and the right GM to really truly make it effective. Yeah, I know what you mean. It can, yeah, it, it's um, it can just get into that player killing. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the word? Yeah, I suppose it's like it, 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 it's um, a relative of Doctor Who in a way, isn't it? I think you've got to have a different mindset to approach it. Otherwise, it just comes into you run at Cthulhu firing pistols, but Cthulhu kills you. Yeah, basically. I mean. Or it's the game master going through the insanity chart going, huh, what would be fun to see them do? <laughs> yeah, for about it, minutes <laughs> until everyone gets bored. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody has a Call of Cthulhu story where they all go insane. Or, as a friend of mine said, everybody has a story where they win against Cthulhu. And that doesn't <laughs> happen. You're doing it wrong if you win. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh gosh, it's yeah. Well, Cthulhu's a game that's really close to our hearts. It, it's maybe I think it was probably my second or third game that I played, and it's one of my longest-running campaigns as well. So, uh, yeah, Cthulhu's a big thing for us. Um, I am tremendously envious of you. The fact that you've had it as a long-running thing. Yeah, I don't know how we managed that, but <laughs> that worked quite well. We've got um, uh, yeah. So, so again, the, that that um, old style. Fantastic box set. So, you know, as um, Chaosium showed, I think that there's still plenty of appetite for that sort of thing, um, and it's an opportunity to just do something really, really indulgent <laughs> for Call of Cthulhu. Um, that'll be fantastic. Now, speaking of horror gaming, uh, this is something that that I just found out about uh, just before the interview started, and mm. it's a game you guys published called Kiro. Tell me about this. Kuro is cyberpunk meets Japanese horror. Uh, it's set after there's an incident, the Kuro incident, uh, which isolates Japan entirely. Um, so there were um, some sort of uh, natural disaster that um, um, triggered a nuclear strike. Um, but as the missile was about to hit, uh, there's a blinding flash and it vanished. Japan's just but gone. Yeah. Oh. Oh, sorry. The the, the, the nuclear missile vanished. Oh, okay. Um, so nobody knows quite what happened, um, but they know that something weird's been happening ever since, and that's where the the Japanese uh, horror elements come into it. Um, so you've got a blockaded um, near future cyberpunk Japan, um, and these things starting to happen. So how like now? Uh, th- th- this is a very young game. Mm. Where do you see this game kind of going? Because Japanese horror has so many weird kind of sub sub genres in it. Yeah. Um, no. Sorry. Oh, I, I was about to say, like, where, like, uh, are there any partic- particular sources you guys are going to draw from? Like, say, movies, comic books, and mangas. 
Um, I'd say it's more the movie tradition um, than anything else. Um, and it has a, there, there is, um, for those that want it, there will be a story arc progression as well. Um, it'll move into Kuro Tensei, which is one of the, the, uh, the supplements for that. The, um, now the reason we know, we know all this in advance is it's one of the, it's a game originally that was made by a French company, uh, Septium Circle, and we've translated it over. We, we work with them on, uh, on a couple of things. Um, and they, I mean, again, it's one of the things that I think they do particularly well as well is really, um, identifying what's so great about a theme and about a, a game and really successfully implementing it. So, uh, um, yeah, no, they did a great job with Kura. I gotta say, it's yeah, that's something else that I'm really excited to take my guys through because it's such an interesting setting, and mm. I never would have thought of blending cyberpunk and Japanese horror. <laughs> it's like spaghetti and milk, but somehow it it, it works. Um, <laughs> it works and horrifies you <laughs> exactly. Um, so Dom, I, I I gotta ask you as my final question for this particular interview because we're definitely mm. gonna have you back. What is coming up for Cubicle Seven this year? Uh, well, we've got uh, for Doctor Who, we've got the Doctor source books, which is, that's eleven uh, source books um, celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of uh, of the show. Um, so that each one will look at the the adventures that that incarnation of the Doctor and um, present that for the game. So the, each one's going to have such a huge amount of gameable content in it. It's, I mean, as well as being a big nostalgic resource for people. Um, the One Ring will be moving through um, the uh, Darkling and Mercury campaign with the Heart of the Wild, which is uh, a region book for that. Um, we've got oh, back to Doctor Who. <laughs> we're looking at the uh, the Doctor Who card game. We'll be getting some uh, some additional products as well this year. So we're looking at a a classic version of that, or an anniversary edition that will draw from the entire history of the show. The the original one uh, was just the eleventh Doctor. Um, so yes, there'll be a huge amount of stuff going into that one. Um, we have uh, Kuro, which we've just been talking about. That'll that's uh, uh, that will have been released by the time anybody hears this. It's, <laughs> I think it's hitting stores tomorrow. Um, we have more for the laundry. Have you seen the laundry? I I, I very briefly scanned over it. It looked uh, kind of weird. Yes, <laughs> I think that's it. That's the um, that's the one where it's based on the novels by Charles Stross, uh, the, the the Laundry Files, um, and it's basically they found the link between maths and magic, so you can do magic on your computer. That's so cool. I, the, I like that. I sell it to people is um, uh, because I I love this aspect to it. Um, each laundry agent, the la- laundry is like the the the. Um, the the Secret Service branch that um, that, that deals with, uh, with with the Mythos threats and things like that. Um, each agent is given a standard issue Necronom iPhone, uh, which is an iPhone preloaded with magic apps. So if you're going into a combat situation, you just power up the warding app, and that'll give you, you know, some level of protection. Because it uses the Call of Cthulhu rules with a new magic system. Um, so like, rather than using magic points to cast spells your laptop will give you a certain POW level. Um, and then you can boost it with peripherals and stuff like that to, to try, you know, try and do the, cast the stronger spells or you know, the, the higher higher spells. Um, you can do magic in your head, but you generally get possessed. The, the, the computers are safer. That's such an interesting take on Call of Cthulhu. I definitely want to be checking uh, that out as well. Just That's really <laughs> weird and kind of awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. They've got they the um, because the stars are coming right. The the laundry's um, defence for that for the UK, because um, obviously there'll be uh, all the extra dimensional things popping up all over the place. So they've wired up the CCTV circuits um, with the basilisk stare, which is they found out that um, basilisks have an optical effect um, that turns carbon atoms or 10% of carbon atoms into silicon, and the energy release causes any organic matter to go up in flames. So basically, it's CCTVs with death rays in at the flick of a switch <laughs> all across the country. That is so weirdly awesome. I'm totally stealing this idea for a game. Um, Every British, I mean, Charles writes such amazing stuff. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a dream to, 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 to write the game version. Um, it's, uh, yeah, there's so much to it as well. It's, it's fascinating. Well, I will definitely say this. Be looking forward for us playing this, hopefully later on in the year <laughs> here on uh, These Warriors Are uh, Terrible. Dom, i got to thank you for taking all time out of your, I'm sure, absurdly busy day to come and speak with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. All right, just hold the line for just a moment. Okay. All right, guys. Well, that was my interview with uh, Dom uh, McDowell Thomas over at Cubicle 7. You guys should really check out their stuff. There's a lot of really interesting uh, properties that like these guys have. Some of them we didn't even get a chance to talk about on the show, but I'm going to bring uh, Dom back in future installments of this interview series just to find out more about things like Air Pirates, Primeval. There's this one game whose name I can't quite pronounced because it begins with Y and just a lot of really interesting stuff so if you guys want to find out more about their stuff go talk to your local game retailers or go to their website uh, cubicle7.co.uk and just take a look around trust me when I say it They've got some really interesting stuff, and I highly recommend the Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space. And pick up the Unit Source book, which came out um, a little while ago. And by the time this airs, you should be able to pick up uh, the Time Traveler's Companion uh, as well, which will give you additional rules for playing Time Lord. So if you want to learn something really kind of awesome, check that out. So guys, uh, for This Week in Geeks, these warriors are terrible. Once again, brought to you by NobleKnight.com and the good folks over at Offworld Designs and our many, many other varied sponsors like GameAccess.ca, BigandTallMart.com, and OneUpYourLife.com, and Starfleet, uh, SFI.org, the world's largest Star Trek online fan club. I've been Mike the Birdman Dodd saying, live free or die hard, and we'll catch you guys again next week, right here on ThisWeekInGeek.net. You have just listened to This Week in Geeks. These warriors are terrible. Did our terrible warriors succeed in saving the day? Did someone do something completely insane and stun the GM into a stupefied silence? And lastly, did someone get punched square in the goodie bags? Also, are there any settings or RPG systems you'd like the terrible warriors to visit? Do you have your own shameful, awesome, or just plain silly RPG adventures? Tell us with a comment on this episode post or email us at feedback at thisweekingeek.net. Until next time, geeks and gamers, the dice has been put away, the books back on the shelf, and the Cheetos stuck to the floor. For these warriors are terrible!